crack the sweater. Represent ABF right there. Good morning. <clears throat> so, this is a fun year. We're sort of back to the normal sermon format. I hope you enjoyed some of the last month's situation with Josh. This month, we are talking about submission. And, of course, we're Christians. We're talking about submission in a Christ-centered narrative, not just a you know, general submission or the culture's form of submission or whatever. So, what does the world define submission as? What is the word submission, I guess, um, as opposed to, you know, what culture has made it, maybe? So the definition, even on Google, when you just write in the word submission, you know, and it gives you a, it's like little obligatory definition, is the act or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. The act or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will of another person. Uh, the will or authority of another person. Then the example sentence they give in that is they were forced into submission, right? Now, pay attention to the, that example sentence because Google has it right. They have to add another word in order to present submission as what many people view submission as when it has a negative stigma, a negative um, situation attached to it. They have to put in the word forced into it. They were forced into submission. Because the word submission by itself does not have any sort of negative connotation or um, you know, forcing to go with it. So a person has to be forced into submission for it to be a abuse. I suppose. So, but our culture has lumped that example sentence into the actual definition in a lot of cases. And that's where we get people that really have a pushback on that. But for us, it's an incredibly valuable word and one that glorifies God in many ways. And it's how, that, it's how we accurately reflect uh, the relationship between God himself within the Godhead even as we learned about at cross-examination. So, God's intended submission is Christ-centered. It's not based on the world's you know, implication of definition. And we'll see a running theme that this month, um, submitting to God and the Holy Spirit is a means of submitting to others. If that makes sense. You have... Within the Trinity, God submitting to himself, right? Christ submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit facilitates that relationship, and we're to exemplify those things. Interesting, it's uh, kind of the opposite of the idea of grieving the Spirit, right? It's like when you're doing something, you're, you're bad, and you are being selfish or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, internally, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You're causing him pain because you're not submitting. You're being a stubborn, you know, mule that's like not going to the water that it needs. You know, it's like painful for God to see that. But submission 
sort of the counter side of that is that it's how God works even within himself. So that's what we want to strive for. There's nothing necessarily between a relationship with a person where there's submission taking place. There's nothing necessarily special about that person besides that God has placed them in a specific relationship to you, right? We're all of the same value, though we have different roles. It's the same thing that we saw in the Trinity last week, I think it was. Crazy that it was only a week ago in cross-examination, right? The persons of the Trinity, they're all equal in value, but different in role. And so we see nothing special in value about a person that is willingly putting themselves into submission versus the person that they're submitting to, except for the specific role and relationship that God has placed us in. So I want to read a story that stood out to me that was fun and um, is a little bit poignant. So there's a story of a boy who said to his father, Dad, who's the boss, the husband or the wife? And the father said, let's try a little experiment. You hitch up a couple of horses to the farm wagon and load it with chickens. Then go through the neighborhood to every couple where the wife is boss give and give them a chicken. And where the husband is boss, give them a horse. So the boy ran around giving out chickens to all the people in town. Finally, he came to a house where the man said that he was the boss and the wife agreed that he was the boss. So the boy asked if he would like the gray horse or the brown horse. The man immediately said, I'll take the brown one. Then his wife came over and whispered something in his ear, and he said, on second thought, I'll take the gray, the boy answered. The boy answered, no, you won't. You'll take a chicken, and you're going to like it. <laughs> but notice how this story frames submission. It's a funny story, but it frames submission under the, the word boss, right? Submission has nothing to do with who is boss. The boss is simple, it's something that we're familiar with, it's kind of a metaphor, I guess, but it's a weak metaphor, and it comes from, at least in our culture, like a simple capitalistic idea based on, you know, money and who's in charge in this non-God-based um, non system. But try, you know, Lord, where in God's context, in order to be great, in order to be the boss, you must serve. The question is, you know, who do you love and who are you willing to serve? Who is God calling you to serve? So submission needs to begin and end with Christ at the heart of it for it to be an appropriate submission. This is where our actions find power and strength as they're propelled by the relationship we have with God through the Holy Spirit. Submission to anyone or anything is first and foremost about submitting to God. Make no mistake about it in every circumstance. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Boom, right out the gate. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband, this is the head, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands and everything. So this passage is most often focused on how wives and husbands are supposed to relate to each other, right? And it continues about that. But I want to point out that 
the talking about wives and husbands is the extrapolated, drawn out, logical conclusion from the premise. And the premise is us submitting to Christ. You know, the family order comes from the principle of us submitting to Christ in the same way. So you could say even that, you know, the point, the main driving foundation of that passage is not about even people submitting to each other like that, but it's about us submitting to God and following that example. Order follows in things like the family and in, um, you know, children and even jobs and things like that, submitting to government officials, all these things are drawn in scripture. But the premise is that we submit to Christ because that is the order that God's put into place. Christ is the husband to his church. And there's no real submission that originates apart from submitting to Christ. In a military style example, just sort of keeping with the pattern, because we like that metaphor, Military example, Christ is like the general, right? We follow orders and his plan to the best of our ability, regardless of where we are at in the, in the chain of command. But particular structures have a captain, you know, somebody that's under the general that everybody else reports to. And that person, that captain, is accountable to Christ, is accountable to the general for how their people are submitting to them for how they're requesting their people's service and all of those things. It's the man in marriage. It's the pastor in the church. It's the leader of a ministry. It's, you know, even if you're a boss at work or a, a government official or those things. But people always have a problem with submission, right? We see it all over the place in real life, but we like talking about fun things like, you know, media and comics and things like that. So I think about the Ninja Turtles. So I'm all about the Ninja Turtles. They're a bunch of teenage Ninja Turtles. If being a teenager isn't already confusing enough, you have to be a mutant turtle on top of it. But, well, that makes things clear. That's the, that's the discipline. But even the discipline of a ninja doesn't outweigh the discipline of God. So, these guys are confused, though. You know? They, are, they have a problem with submission. They each have their strong, individual, distinct personalities and stuff, and these things drive them, and oftentimes they get into fights with each other, and two of them are going off and fighting and doing this, while the other, you know, Michelangelo's like plowing some pizza at home, and Raphael's having a tantrum somewhere, or whatever, and they have a problem with submission, but that is how people are. Like, this resonates with the character of man. Um, for another thing that's maybe more accessible, the Avengers, right? They are, how often are they unwilling to set aside their own personal preferences for the unity and the common good and the goal and, you know, a righteous act? But they can't get over themselves in many cases. The fact of it is, is that they don't really have a good enough reason to disregard their individual driving points of their personalities and identities and those things. They don't have um, the ability to set those aside without Christ as the driving force and example of their submission to one another. They don't have a reverence for him. And when do they become weak? It's when they start dividing, when they can't 
submit to one another and put aside their differences and serve. In that case, they're serving you know, their country or mankind or whatever it is. But when they're unwilling to do that, they become weak and able to be defeated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul begs the Corinthians to settle disagreements within the church or even, and even allow themselves to be cheated and abused in order to preserve this unity, you know? Because that unity before Christ, that's what makes them strong. That's what, that is the call, you know? To forgive one another for wronging and seek to make better and all of those things, to submit to one another and grow in that process in love, bonding, all those things. Um, the Avengers sometimes fail at that. I would say, you know, going back to the military example, of course, Josh has thrown out, you know, the phalanx and all that stuff. Like the Spartans are trained to submit to one another and do that in the battlefield. I don't know how things were, you know, on the social side of things. They probably got into fights and stuff all the time because they're a feisty bunch. But, you know, on the battlefield when they knew what was going on, they were unstoppable because of that, because of their ability to submit to one another and set aside those differences. In that, we're not alone in that process, right? The Holy Spirit is our helper and our counselor. He's there to help us stop focusing on our personal preferences and our, even our personal needs in that moment because God, regardless of what we think we need, God will provide what we need, right? He will never overburden us with something that we can't handle. And the Holy Spirit helps us to serve God in that way, helps us to submit to Christ, to submit to the Holy Spirit, to submit to each other, and to serve others in that process. And in that, we find that power and strength come from that process. Power and strength comes from the process of submission in sort of a ironic type of relationship almost, you know? You don't think of, you think of submission as being weak and allowing somebody else to take control, but when you're operating as a unit, right, with Christ as the head, submitting to one another just creates a solidified, unified situation when Christ is at the center. And if you think about, I don't know, just basic human psychology of that, I suppose, how God has designed us to be, what is more motivating? Allowing another person to, you know, expect something of you, um, to accomplish something. You know, when you are putting yourself into submission and saying, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what this person asks of me because I trust that person to know what's best in that situation. God has put them in an authority position over me, or even I just choose right now to be on this person's side and we're gonna accomplish this together. And they expect you to do something. What's more powerful, a personal self-motivation or somebody holding you accountable for that, right? A, yeah, a self-motivation or something where someone is watching you saying, get this done. The reality of it is, is that people have a hard time motivating by themselves, you know? And I think that has something to do with our nature as, as social and accountable beings in a submission structure. 
So why fight it? It's human nature for us to be in submission to each other. We are always a slave to something after all, right? We can't serve two masters, as Christ says in Matthew chapter 6, a.k.a. we can't submit to two masters. We have to choose one. And if you choose yourself as your master, you cannot be um, in submission to something else. Even if somebody is submitting to you because you are in that role, still, you are not the master in that situation. Christ is your master. So, embrace it. We're meant to serve and submit to one another. Direct that. Direct that submission to God, to Christ-centered submission, where it belongs. The greatest lie ever told is that we alone make our destinies and how our choices fall and all of those things, right? It's that proverb or whatever it is that man rolls the dice, but God chooses where they fall. In Genesis chapter 3, talking about the greatest lie ever told is that we make our own destinies. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. God knows, this is Satan speaking in the garden, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. In that, we see that. We see that situation where we want to create our own destinies. You know, We don't want to be in submission to God's timing, to God's wisdom, and all of those things, or even you know, another person that's in authority over us. Instead, we see an internal process of coveting, right, where we want something that is not ours. We want something that belongs to somebody else. It's an <clears throat> internal dysfunction. It's something inside that doesn't work with us. It doesn't work for our nature if we're to be right before God. It's a dysfunction because it's opposite of God's design. We're seeking to take hold onto things, um, seeking to take hold onto things that aren't ours. We're taught that that is how power comes about, that you take what it is that you're supposed to have. You know, you make things happen, manifest destiny or whatever it is. But that's not powerful at all. That is weakness at the end of things because God is the one that will hold us accountable at the end. God is the one that decides how the dice will fall, you know, whether that's a financial decision or trying to control a relationship or whatever it is, um, trying to make things by your own power alone doesn't usually turn out for us. But submitting to God it will turn out. Um, yeah, it's seeking to take hold of things on our own is, without a doubt, weakness in God's eyes, whereas strength is found in him in that submission process. So our internal action, we can have that dysfunction of coveting, of wanting things that aren't ours, refusing to submit to what's happening um, for the benefit of others, for the benefit of God's glory. But we're supposed to be the opposite of coveting. We're supposed to be giving of self, right, instead of selfish. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God gives. God loves a cheerful giver. This is a scripture that's talking about money, but it's one of those situations where the principle applies so much more, right? If this applies physically with money, each one must give as he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not being into forced submission, but with a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. If this applies physically with something as trivial and meaningless to God as money, how much more for a spiritual service? How much more for giving your heart for another person's task, for another person's ministry? You know, we're talking about using the commons right now for different things. We're talking, everybody's doing different things, you know, like podcasts and like all this sort of stuff. How much more valuable is it to God that you give of your spirit and of your time and all of those things, seeking to submit yourself to another person's ministry, to exalt them, to lift them up as they're trying to lift up God? That is what's important to God. It's just like circumcision physically is nice for God. It gives him credit. It gives him those things. But circumcision of the heart, being vulnerable in your spirit, being open before God, that's so much more valuable. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, we see this happening where the apostles James and John seek, to, seek honor with Christ. So, verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor what is your request, she asked. Uh, sorry, what is your request, he asked Jesus. Um, Jesus asked that, what is your request? She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered them by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able but Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places in heaven for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord over their people, lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. The power of God is found in the beauty of service and submission to one another. It's not found in any sort of, you know, self-driven power or ambition, even if those things are charitable acts. Charitable acts are, are great, and they tap something that is, you know, unique to, the, to man because of our image being created in God's image. Um, but the power of God is found in the beauty of service and submission to one another, in that harmony whether that's at work or as a child with the parents, seeking to do the will of your master. 
you know, not waiting for somebody to, to have to encourage you to, to walk that line of forcing a person into submission because they know that's what's good for you or whatever, but instead having that attitude of submission, being looking for those opportunities to join the crew. What's that, uh, what's that song from the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. <laughs> it just came to me. Love that song. But there it is. Submission and joy in that process. Yeah. So as a leader, even, seeking to serve and protect your people. Um, leaders seeking to submit to their people in that way. Submit to God's will as the shepherd, as their people are submitting to their leadership. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Clearly, this is not a literal statement of you can do nothing, you have no capability. But in the eyes of God, in terms of what's valuable and what's beautiful, it relies on us keeping Christ at the center keeping him as the vine and us as the branches and us submitting to his direction, operating in a safety net around that, you know, having confidence in that situation and being able to weave and intertwine with each other and share fruit and all of those things. But apart from Christ, it's nothing. We talk about military and battles and all these things and a, a context of the spiritual warfare that we have going on. I liken that in this situation of submission, the complexities of life to riding a wave. I don't know if you've ever surfed or seen pictures of people surfing or those things like that, but that's how I picture it is you're riding this wave and this wave is, you know, it's, that is the world and you're, you're riding it and it's pushing you along and it's like trying to crush you at every, you know, feet as it's like curling over and trying to just put you into a washing machine of turbulence and all of that stuff. But um, that's life. Life can be rough and full of evil trying to get you. But that's how God works. God, God has called us to be apart from the world, you know, in front of the wave, but still in it at the same time, riding that for God's glory. And when it crashes, you move this way. When it crashes here, you move that way. And you're like, you know, plus the thing, maybe you do a trick for style points in the middle. God is a creative God, you know? And the wave is trying to constantly crush you. But instead, as God's wisdom is foolishness to the world, and the world's wisdom is foolishness to God, Little does the wave know that as it's trying to crush you, it's actually propelling you, you know? It's very interesting, and it's constantly dynamic, and you have to be on your toes and listening to what is happening around you, but that's how life is, is we ride those things. We stay in front of that evil as we listen to God, as we're trying to decide which way to turn this way and that way so that we're not crushed, but we're propelled instead. And if you look at the early church, right, that's exactly what happened. The more that they were tried to be crushed, the more that, they, that the Romans or the Chinese or whoever it is trying to 
persecute the church, the more it's propelled. It grows exponentially. We're stagnant here in America because nobody's trying to crush us. We don't have a propulsion. We're relying on our own self-motivation, which doesn't get us very far. But when you're in a situation when you're trying to be crushed, take joy because it propels you, because it forces you to look at things as you're submitting to Christ. And in that, we give him glory, and we will be glorified at the end. So, are you viewing these things in your life as trying to crush you, or can you see them as a propulsion, you know, held in check by the Lord who keeps us from being overtaken, who never gives us more than we can handle? God's people, if you haven't noticed, rarely know what's coming next in Scripture. We have Abraham, you know, who's just told to pick up and go. He didn't know exactly what that meant, but he did it, and he was counted faithful. David, whether he's fighting Goliath, you know, he steps onto the battlefield to deliver some, some uh, stuff or message or armor or something like that, and he's like, what is this guy? You know, I need to do this. It's like one step at a time. He was called to defend God in that moment. Or whether it was that or he was running as, a, as an older man with a following, you know, he was constantly running for his life from the king, who he was in his best attempt submitting to, you know. He was submitting to Christ above the king because that's the order of things, but still he wouldn't take the king's life. He wouldn't take Saul's life. And that's what we see that God appreciates. Um, anyway, the point of that is that those people, you know, they are taking things one thing at a time and ready to submit to that, not knowing the full picture. And that's how we have to be, right? Not having to do the, to the full picture, but willing to serve, trusting that person, because the, that is that person's directing that is the business of that person and God. We can have a conversation about it, we can do all of those things, but being ready to submit, that is the beauty of it. And if you hadn't noticed that when you have a spirit of submission, it puts everybody at ease. Nobody's on the attack, nobody's defensive because you understand it feels right. Like that's how people are made to work in harmony with each other. We work so much better in that situation. So Abraham and David are good examples of that. In the New Testament, you have Paul, who's constantly like jumping from city to city, he never knows you know, whether he's, he tries to make plans for one place, but then God shuts that down and tells him to go somewhere else. You know, It's like these people that are making life-changing decisions, they're living moment by moment in that, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit to see what he has for them and being ready to submit. Or even like as we saw in Acts, uh, Peter and Cornelius, um, God arranged for those things to meet up, but neither one of those people knew the whole picture. They only saw the whole picture when they met together and they realized that God had been speaking to both of them and that he was doing something much bigger than each of them knew, you know? And that's how God works. So have some faith and be willing to submit to those situations and give that insecurity about how that's going to turn out to God. Submitting to the Holy Spirit is about the relationship that you have with him. You know, it's dynamic. I used the example of water earlier and, you know, how life is fluid and all those things. But more fluid than anything is relationship. You know, in 
in comparison, which is ironic because water is a fluid, but in comparison to relationship, you know, water might as well be ice. It is um, the most fluid thing. And that's the value of our God, right? That's one of the things that we love so much about him is that he is relational and we can have a relationship with his Holy Spirit who helps us make those decisions and submit to those things. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everyone to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to use our mind as we seek to engage the Holy Spirit, as we seek to submit to him, as we seek his counsel in how we submit to Christ. This is a relationship. This is something that we need to try to find a rhythm in, right? It's something that daily in prayer we should be trying to be relational. We all, I can't say we all, but many people have a tendency to be mechanical in their prayers to God, you know? I mean, and even how we teach kids, because, you know, they have certain needs and structure and stuff, and it's a good learning tool, but even how we teach kids is a good example. You know, what do you, what can you use help with? What are you thankful for? You know, that makes for an awfully mechanical prayer, but how often do you ask questions of God? You know, beg him to, to reveal things to you, to allow you to be a part of something, to grow you in a certain way that will benefit the body that puts you in a position where you can submit to something that you can really get behind, you know? Those things are beautiful. Those desires are beautiful to God. Hmm. In that Ephesians chapter 5 situation, the very next verse is verse 21 where it says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That was just before the scripture that I read at the beginning. That's the connection verse. And that's how things relate. We are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ above all things. That keeps it in perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. What an interesting passage. Not a God of disorder versus order, but disorder versus peace. You know? It's very interesting. Peace is living in submission to one another, seeking harmony in that way. God wants us to use our mind and our heart to engage with him, to engage with the Holy Spirit in seeking to submit to him, seeking to submit to one another. And it's not disorder versus order. It's not a mechanical situation like that. It's disorder versus a relational submission of peace. Submission is actually the opposite of disorder. So, in seeking that still small voice of God, we should quiet ourselves and listen for the Holy Spirit's counsel. The Holy Spirit is an expert in submission. And he will bring order and peace to you if you are willing to submit to him, to ask those questions of how you can be a better disciple of Christ. 
whoever has been a good listener without learning to quiet themselves, you know? If you keep talking, you can't listen very well. So let's learn how to quiet ourselves and be professional submitters. <laughs> um, and it's no different with the Holy Spirit than it is with ourselves besides the authority situation. I mean, we need to seek to see where we fit in with that, to be willing to do those things. There's many psalms about being quiet and listening for God and his word. And Proverbs 3 is another one. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Like, you have to look for those things. Seek to submit in that way to Christ above all other things. Ask about God's will and how you can be a part of God's narrative versus asking God to help with yours, right? That's what everybody likes to do in America is to see how everybody can help them. And, you know, we treat God in that same way. Like, God, I need, I need whatever it is. Like, I don't know, my car is broken. God, like, I need that thing right now or whatever it is. Instead of seeking to understand what God is doing, right? We can ask God for help. That's cool. But is that our primary attitude when we come before him? You know? Is that what we're really doing as a first premise is submitting to Christ or are we looking to fulfill our own needs as if God's not already looking to do that for us? So we should actively be stressing ourselves to keep Christ in the center of our submission structure and standing confidently in the godly power and strength that comes from listening to the Holy Spirit and submitting to one another. America has too much emphasis on autonomy, on being, you know, me as the, as the stronghold, and we can't help but to have that rub off on us some. So we can really grow from more of a relational submission perspective with God in the center of that. But it requires self-sacrifice, right, and a relationship with God. So let's read a scripture as we kind of wrap things up here. It's Psalm 133. It's a shorty. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Harmony is beautiful before the Lord, and that requires our submission and our attention to how that works. So how does submission in your life compare to the submission that you see in the world? How do those things compare? What is different? What is set apart about how you find peace with one another, how you relate to one another, how you submit to one another? What's the attitude of your submission What's the attitude, your emotions behind that submission? And what's the focus and purpose of it? Do you submit to, some, to get someone off your back or submit in order to you know, make that extra dollar? You know, it's like, yeah, what, what is your main motivations for submitting? Uh, or is it to please your master, Jesus Christ? And then lastly, just to keep it simple, you know, in what circumstances do you have a hard time with submission? You know, we all have our 
triggers and things. So in what circumstances do you have a hard time setting aside your own personal agenda in order to get behind somebody else that's doing something, you know? In what circumstances do you have a hard time with submission? Okay, let's go talk.